Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Fade to Black. And today we're going to be diving into the Martin Luther King narrative. I am your host, Donnell Lamonte Morris. I'm here with Anita Joe, aka Teach, Beast Johnson, and happy to have back Alan Bragg. How are y'all doing today? Good, good, good. Doing very well. Glad oh, to be good. here. Um, I want to throw out something real quick to each and everybody who's tuned into the show. I want to thank everybody who's been watching this show. I want to thank also for the diversity that we also been having watching. So thank y'all. This is not a form where we sugarcoat anything. I tell all my guests to come hard, say how you feel, because this goes beyond a conversation. It shouldn't be a conversation. This is how we see America, how we see our world for our lens. This is not it is what it is. This has 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 always has been. I'm sorry, I got a little tongue-tied, but this is our world. And we're basically saying, welcome to our world. Sit back and listen. So we're gonna do something new today where all the hosts is going to uh, give their opening statements. It could be pertaining to the topic that we're about to get into, or it could be something else they want to get off their chest. So we're going to start off with uh, Manita Job. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, so let me go ahead and get myself and everybody else off, and you will have. Good evening, everyone. Um, before we get into this video, I just want to say that uh, the protests are working. Many people are expressing that they don't like the form that the protest is taking. But when we look out today and see that the roots of racism are finally being shaken, the statutes of many, many individuals around the world up to and including Christopher Columbus, 
um, Robert E. Lee, uh, uh, Leopold, and others are being taken down around the world. These statues and also the Confederate flag have been allowed to stand. And as some argue that these are historical items or artifacts that should remain in place so that the next generation can learn from these statues. But because of the outcry behind George Floyd and the mountain of pain and anguish that his death represents, these statues are coming down around the world. And I say that is progress because who in which universe, in which country is the loser celebrated? It is only in the United States of America that Robert E. Lee is celebrated as the president of the Confederacy. And we know the history that the Confederacy was defeated. So why would you celebrate that in his form and in the form of the Confederate flag. So for these protests, these protests are shaking up the roots of racism, which is found in white supremacy. So what I would like to do is talk about briefly uh, the eloquent James Baldwin, a young man that was well beyond his time, but he left for us a legacy of why people riot. And I believe it's very appropriate. This film took place in 1968, but it, his words resonate with us today. Black so, the streets has to do with the lives they're forced to lead in this country. And they're forced to lead these lives by the indifference and the um, apathy and a certain kind of ignorance, a very willful ignorance on the part of their co-citizens. Everybody knows, no matter what they do not know, that they wouldn't like to be a black man in this country. They know that and they shut their minds against the rest of it, all the implications of being a black father or a black woman or a black son and all of the implications involved in a human being's endeavor to take care of his wife, to take care of his children, to raise his children to be men and women in the teeth of a structure which is built to deny that I can be a human being or that my child can be. The great question in the country has been all the years that I've been living here and I was born here 43 years ago, is what does the Negro want? And this question masks a terrible knowledge. I want exactly what you want. And you know what you want. I want to be left alone. I don't want any of the things that people accuse Negroes of wanting. And I don't hate you. I simply want 
to be able to raise my children in peace and arrive at my own maturity in my own way in peace. I don't want to be defined by you. I think that you and I might learn a great deal from each other. If you can overcome the curtain of my color, the curtain of my color is what you use to avoid facing the facts of our common history, the facts of American life. It is easy to call me a Negro or a nigger or a promising black man, but in fact, I'm a man like you. I want to live like you. This country is mine too. I paid as much for it as you. White means that you are European still. And black means that I'm African. And we both know, we've both been here too long. You can't go back to Ireland or Poland or England, and I can't go back to Africa. And we will live here together, or we'll die here together. And it's not I am telling you, time is telling you. You will listen or you will perish. Okay, so in his words, um, that was in 1968, 53 years ago. Today, we're at that same point. You, the European or the white, can't go back to Europe. In an interesting note that for my uh, American history class, as well as my African-American history class, I have the students do a discovery of self, which means to take a DNA test. And because I am black, and I will say I had a naive view, I thought naively that the African-American students would be more uh, ready to take their DNA test and discover what parts of Africa they come from. But what I found is that the white students were more apt to take the test and were more excited to take the test because they may not have a firm idea of exactly where in Europe they came from. And I had one student uh, that took his test and he thought that he was of British descent only to find out that his greater percentage, he came from Germany. And that took a whole different meaning for his life and his identity. And as Baldwin said, that we Africans, with our blood, sweat, and tears, we built this nation and we're not going back to Africa. And you came from Europe and neither are you going. So either we will live together or we will perish together. And these are the uh, parameters in which we live here right now in America. What I'm seeing with the protests, with the statues and the Confederate flag being one, I believe it was just announced that it's being banned in the NASCAR racing, that they will not be able to fly the flag um, at that particular event. And you know, that is a big event. So that is changing the attitudes 
And what I understand about change, especially changing in the United States, change takes at least one generation. So what I'm saying is this, that right now, we are sowing yet another seed of growth in the United States to say that racism is not going to be tolerated. But it's not going to be until the next 25 years when the children have come to maturity that we will see this change quantitatively. So we will see it take place and evolve over time because just because they take the statues down, because the forces believe that they should be up, there will be an onslaught to preserve them and place them in other places. So it won't die easily if you consider that all this time it has not died. You would think that those statues would have come down in 1964 when Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act that stated that the United States of America will no longer practice discrimination in its workplaces. And that was a big deal for the United States to say that we as a nation shall not practice discrimination because before then our nation practiced discrimination. So um, with that, there's always pushback uh, to any law that's instituted. And with that pushback, going back and forth, it takes time for it to get rooted into the minds of the people. And usually um, at that particular time um, with the people, they usually don't change. It's usually the next generation that will embrace the changes that are put forth. So um, I want to ask uh, the audience, are there any questions or statements that you would like to make concerning the video that we watched? And I don't see any. I um, listened to a post earlier today regarding history repeating itself. And also, we have this evidence through Mr. Baldwin that he spoke what we're speaking today. When we look at change, we have to know that it comes in very small increments. And I would suggest that under the current administration, 
they roll back change mentally because we've seen an upsurge in racial discrimination. We've seen things go back. And this is what he was talking about, making America great, going back to that time where the government and its agents could freely oppress other people, um, peoples of color. So you see it like, um, how can I say, like a rubber band effect. It'll stretch out and then it'll be pulled back. It'll go out and be pulled back. But each time it goes out, it just goes out a little further. So what we see in this cycle of change, we see something that we didn't see in 1964. My God, they did not take down the statues, not in the United States and definitely not around the world. So the world is with us. And let's understand this from a spiritual perspective. This is not an isolated problem. This is a problem everywhere that the Europeans have conquered where they currently dwell and all the people subject to them. So this is a worldwide shift in how we look at the power structure and how we are saying we must change this power structure. It is not working for the world. And that's why um, George Floyd is elevated to the height. He represents that portal of change. He represents that shift in the consciousness worldwide. And I don't know how much time we have for our opening statement, but I would like to conclude at this time. Yeah, I got you, Teach. So that was Teach opening statement. And for the next one, it will be um, Beast Johnson. You got the floor. Um, I'll probably get just a little religious for a moment, not truly religious, but I just want to quote a specific uh, verse that's always stood out to me in times like this, in times of uncertainty, and it's uh, 2 Timothy 2.15. And it's real simple. It just says, study to show thyself approved unto God. It doesn't necessarily say what to study. It just says study. So what we have to do is we have to study everything in front of us, all the past, all the present. We can't just sit here and think that it will eventually get better with someone else. I pose this statement to everyone that makes the statements, well, such and such would have did this different or the past has taught us like, no, no. The only way to truly get ahead is to look at everything the current reasons why we're still doing these things, um, the past reasons that brought us to this point. If everyone wants to truly get along and wants to truly forget these things, we have to acknowledge that first they happened. We have to acknowledge our parts in it 
and we have to acknowledge that we need help to understand and overcome it. And it's only when we accept and acknowledge these things that the true path of change can commence and continue. I just want people to be honest and be open. If you want someone to understand you for not understanding the cause, then you have to be willing to understand why they feel the way they feel about the cause. Um, guys, I'm just going to keep it real short right now. That's really the only thing I want to get off my mind right now is just for people to educate themselves you will gain a lot more insight on the true depths of what's going on if you just take the time to shut your mouth, open your ears and your eyes and let your inner conscious and your inner spirit lead you to the truth that you need to accept. That's pretty much all I got for right now. All right, cool. Thank you, Beast Johnson, for that. Um, I'm going to bring on... uh, Brad, can you hear? Can you hear us? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. All right, cool. The floor is yours. All right, good evening, everyone. Uh want to thank everybody for tuning in and those who will tune in later. But I wanted to take a quick moment to expose someone who uh, we was talking about the NASCAR issue. Um and the news channel five here is getting out of Nashville, but they do certain things, current events, but not. And a young man was a man. I don't think he's a young man, but he's a man. And uh, he posted, his name is Bobby Linville, Linville senior. And he lives in uh, Scottsville, Kentucky. But, you know, when they was talking about the NASCAR uh, Confederate flag being taken away or banned, You know, he said, can't you see right now 20 black people being chased around Talladega by 20 police officers and then a black person hit the wall and died. Then the wall will be removed because black lives matter. Ha ha ha. Uh, And somebody else commented and then he goes to say, that's right. Won't even get to finish the I can't breathe 500. Um, It's really sad that some people, I'm not going to say all people, some people of certain races um, think that this is a laughing matter and that this is just a joke. Um, We're losing our young people at a rate of two and a half times more than white people, yet they are mad when we say Black Lives Matter, and you know we're trying to bring a point home, and and they they're mad about it. They think that we're just trying to take over America, and that's not the case at all. You know, we just want our equal share. We want to be treated equally. Um, something that I have a tendency to do is I jump right in and I started, you know, I I I, I respond to these posts that people make, and and instead of the thing that I need to try to do is stop posting negatively back and forth because they're the people that's being negative are not the ones that are going to respond. You know, they're just going to be negative. The way they think is the way they think. Um, we're talking about grown adults here. Um, so 
we need well i'm i'm going to say speak for me i i need to start spreading the 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 more of the love you know i know martin luther king which we're going to be talking about that today you know he had a uh his thing was non-violent protest and you know and so where some people may think that's uh not appropriate in today's time you know i'm not opposed to it you know it is what it is you know some sometimes calls for drastic measures sometimes don't but uh in the in the in for me when i engage people online i'm going to just simply say i love you um black people don't hate white people you know I, i've heard those statements why do y'all hate us you know why you know my parents didn't own slaves you know that was back in the day you know the confederate flag has nothing to do with slavery you know you hear all this non-truths that's out there um so we have to keep fighting the fight but we can't take our focus off of love love conquers all and you know i know we're mad and we're angry and we're pissed off but i have to draw myself back sometime and remember my roots and where i came from and you know i'm raised in a christian home and i'm not saying that everybody has to be you know oh so holy or not you know whatnot but i'm just saying for me i'm have to take a different approach sometime and take a step back and to show more compassion and love because that's what we want them to do we want them to show us more love and compassion and so we have to keep trying to spread that as well and not fight hate with hate and that's uh all i have right now. all right thank you mr bragg and i guess it's my turn all right, so I'm gonna see if I can make it short and try to make it short and sweet. So I just want to get to the point of this. This is why I created this platform. Now I know you got you got your MSNBCs, you got other people that's trying to do the same exact thing what they're doing here right now. But I'm gonna tell you what's so different about this show, about this series, because it's coming from my podcast, and I was like, you know what? I just can't do the Alamonte show and just think that everything is okay and talk about other things and just pretending that, you know, it's not happening to me, so I shouldn't care. I should care. And that also ties in with the black celebrities. You know, you have personalities like freaking Charlamagne the God that sit there and say, well, you know, black celebrities shouldn't have anything to do with this, shouldn't have nothing to say about it. Yes, they should. Yes, they should. They make millions of dollars and they're the epitome of individualism. Now, I round applause for people like Jamie Foxx, um, Kiki Palmer, and athletes who are finally realizing there is something wrong. Just because I'm making millions of dollars does not mean if I was put in that situation that my credibility as an athlete is going to get me out of it. So I took it upon myself to create this series and got different people from different walks of life. And then also I want people of different ethnicities to come on the show to see it, to well, not even see it from our world, but to enter into our world, to know what we're actually dealing with. It's great that we have people like, you know, um, Killer Mike. Um, you got people like, um, let me see, no, some names are not even coming up to mind right now, but we probably might say it once we all get here. But plat this platform that I created that got people from every walks of life, we, we're not millionaires. 
service members, independent record label, a teacher. You really get to hear it from us for real. We don't not read the monitor. We're not getting paid the big bucks just to hold up an agenda. And then also I'm going to call myself out when I did the commercial. I forgot to put the narrative on the commercial. And then on the caption, I put, we control the narrative. But then I thought about it. We control narrative. It just flowed really well because this is what we do here. This is what we're going to do. This is what should be happening. We shouldn't have no other conglomerate tell us what the narrative is. Because just like with anything else, this probably just going to be a trend, a hashtag. Oh, this was happening. You know, legislation has happened. And then all of a sudden, the next day is like it never happened. But here, we're going to keep it going. We're going to say the things that are working and say the things that are not working. And what we can do to achieve and have it to keep going and make it concrete. Put into law. And that was the biggest reason why I created this platform. So for anybody who's watching this show, we're the only show that engage with our audience. So if you're tuning in right now or you're going to listen on my podcast or watch it later, please contribute your comments because it's not just us in this fight. Everybody is in this fight, but mainly you got to see the fight from our view. This is, like I said, this beyond the conversation. This is beyond a discussion. If you want to understand what we go through on a daily basis or trying to understand it better, it's good to ask questions. But be ready for the answer because it may not be what you're expecting. When I say we control the narrative, I mean it. And you're not going to see anything different in this show. We may got different points of views on how we see things, but guess what? We're looking all in the right direction and in the same direction. And we're here to let you know and to help you see what we see. And that is going to be it for me. Let me go ahead and add everybody else up in there. So now we can get on with the real stuff that we're talking about, we are talking about the Dr. King narrative because I knew when all this happened that everybody in their mama, and I say this without saying no offense, mainly the white folks were saying, well, Dr. King wouldn't approve of all this. Dr. King would have been condemning riots and all this stuff going on. To me, I just think it's just another way of trying to shut us up. How do y'all feel? I will say it's one part that I will agree with you. It's one part that, but it's also one part showing your ignorance. Because the same people that say Dr. King would never approve of this are the same people that don't realize that there's a two part to the I have a dream speech. The first part spoke of peace and tranquility and the overall goals that we as black people are trying to maintain and achieve. The second part got a little more grimy. It sounded a little more like Malcolm X that said, hey, we want peace, 
but we are prepared for war. And if you truly want peace, you must be ready for war at all times. You must be the samurai in the garden. Yes, I'm over here tending to my roses and my beautiful bouquets, but I got that samurai blade with me on deck just in case. But I'm not here for that. I'm here for peace. I'm here for love. But let it not be misunderstood. I'm ready for war if you want to go there. That's not why I came here, but I'm more than prepared for it if that's on your agenda. And they cut that second half out. Now, even a lot of black people don't realize that. Uh, Gandhi was the same way. He was. He had his, his gutter moments as well. Every true peaceful person within history had those moments was like, yes, we need peace, but let's not forget we might have to go through war to get it. They always take that side of the narrative out. That these these were just 100% peaceful people. You could slap them in their mouth and they're going to come back with a smile. No. Hmm. They're human and they have limits like every other human. And if you push a, push a human or any creature too far, you're not going to like the response that they give you. Right. And to um, brag, so when you hear people always bringing up Dr. King in times like these, does it make you think, okay, remember your aunts, your uncles, your mama, your daddy back in the day, did they have that same energy? Does it make you think to ask them that when they bring up Dr. King? Well, I've had several conversations with some elders and, uh, you know, it's not a, a easy thing to ask and it's not an easy thing to talk about. Um, I would say that some of the marches that were done by Dr. Martin Luther King, um, I think it, I mean, we wouldn't be where we are now had it not been for him and what he did you know people say the 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 protest you know we tired of marching and this and that and this but look where we've come look what we've accomplished during those times the era where he was doing his part during the civil rights movement you know we 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 accomplished some great things we've come a long way but we still have a long long way to go you've heard that before so um it's not an easy conversation to have um, but we need to start having that conversation more, learning more. Uh, like Teach said, you know, we she teaches her uh, African history and whatnot, and we need to grasp that because when we don't know what's going on and we just listen to anything because we have a lot of black conservatives out there telling us or they're pushing their agenda, which is garbage, um, mm-hmm. And we'll fall for anything. So we have to know the truth for ourselves and get to our elders and start asking those questions. What happened back in the day? You know, uh, what do you see different from from back then up until now? You know, how how do you think you know we can move forward from here? Do we do we keep uh, marching peacefully? Do we do we burn stuff down? Do we loot? I mean, what will it take? Um, you know, you, you're going to have a plethora of different answers. 
so you know we just have to keep on asking those questions and try to figure out what will work and and what's going what we're going to have done to uh keep spreading love gotcha and my question to you teach so with dr king being used in times like these what is the is it when when white people when they use them use dr king narrative to say he wouldn't approve of that. Do you think that's more of them trying to remind us how peaceful Dr. King was or just a tactic of saying, shut the fuck up? I'm, I'm just saying that because in the times that we are now. <laughs> I, I agree with the latter. Um, it's a psychological ploy. It messes with your mind, uh, especially if you are Christian and hold up the tenets of Christianity that says that if your enemy slaps you, you turn and let them slap the other cheek. That puts, that puts your um, quote-unquote morality and your, your gateway to heaven um, in, on display. You know, will you make it to heaven because you didn't let me slap you and slap you back? So it's a psychological game um, that they play um, upon people that buy into that particular theory. But what I want to talk about, two things. Um, what is nonviolent direct action? And this is a quote directly by Dr. Martin Luther King. Nonviolent direct action seeks to create such a crisis and establish such creative tension that a community that has constantly refused to negotiate is forced to create, to confront the issue. And then there are four steps in a nonviolent campaign. And these steps are one, a collection of the facts to determine whether injustices exist. Two, negotiation. Three, self-purification and for direct action. And if you ever look at any of the marches, they were all violent. They were all violent. Everywhere Martin Luther King went in the name of peace, it created violence. But let's look at the third concept, self-purification. In the self-purification mode, all of the marchers, they went through a training course that if someone hit you, they went through a training not to react. That was the self-purification so that when the situation was highlighted, you can be clearly seen as a victim. Like when they turned loose the dogs and the fire hoses upon the marchers, these were our sworn and sworn to protect officers that turned dogs and water hoses onto peacefully marching, singing, we shall overcome carrying no weapons citizens 
But yet, before the march was over, violence had ensued. So understand it was a cleverly devised program to clearly show who are the people of violence and who are the people breaking the peace. Mm. Now, contrawise, you have Malcolm X. And in his gatherings, there was no violence. The only time that there was violence at a Malcolm X event is when they actually took his life. So you ask why? Why, why was there violence with Martin Luther King and he preached peace? And why was there peace when Malcolm X says, by any means necessary? And I'll put this in very simple terms. You have a bully and you have a victim. And a bully will attack his victim freely because he stand unopposed. As long as that bully think he can do whatever he wants to do to you, he will do it and continue to do it and continue to do it. Because as you are the victim, you have a, signed a contract with him. You're telling, the, you're telling the bully, I'm not going to fight back. So the bully is big, bad, and bold. So they're going to throw some punches. They're going to keep going and 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 keep going. But when you tell the bully, I'm going to fight you back, that bully is not bold. He stands ground and he know at any second it could be him that takes that punch or takes that bullet or takes that um, knife and that could be the end of his life and that bully will stand down hmm. so when Malcolm X say fight fire with fire if you have guns we have guns it's an equal playing field and that's why there was no violence in any of the um, any of the events that was hosted and featured Malcolm X. Which leads me to wise, the, yeah. I'm sorry, teacher. Go ahead. So, contrawise uh, with um, Martin Luther King, his plan was to highlight and show that we were fighting the enemy and we were the victim. And they wanted the world to see. And one of the main reasons why the demonstrations took root during that time was because it coincided with the advent of television. The revolution was being televised and not only in the United States, but around the world. And it was only because um, JFK at the time was the president. He was not, he had a deaf ear to the plight of the civil rights movement. But it was because of other countries and the foreign affairs. They said, hey, how can you come across the water 
and deal with our problems when you don't even work on your own problems of racial discrimination in your own borders. And it was that type of feedback that they got from Venezuela, from Cuba, uh, from other countries in the world that JFK said, hey, now that the world is listening and looking and seeing our dirty sheets, hmm. maybe we should invite Martin Luther King to the White House and let's talk about racial discrimination. Hmm. So which lead me to this question. I teach, I, we talked about it like a long, long time ago, many moons ago. And I want to bring it up to uh, Bragg and bring it up to uh, B. Johnson and to people who's watching um, right now or listening. Is this, do you think the reason why they use the Dr. King narrative is because going back to what Teach was saying, that he wasn't seen as a threat because with Malcolm X, who said by any means necessary, he was a threat. He was a threat that he was going to arm every every black person should be armed. And if 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 the cops attack them, they should attack, attack the cops back. As in Martin Luther King was like nonviolence, nonviolence. Don't hit back. Let the photographers and let the camera crew catch it and see that we are not the people that they see us as. I think Dr. King was more political in his in his move. He knew that being in America as a black man, if you ain't got at least two semi-decently well-off white people on your side, you're not going to really be able to do a whole lot. Hmm. So, you know, he made sure because a lot of people don't know he did accept money from wealthy white benefactors in order to be able to go out on these tours and talk to these churches and have the necessary people around him to keep him safe while he did this. So I feel like he was very, very, very political in his movement because he knew the only way he can really beat them is at their game. We be violent. And like T said, with the introduction of television, that introduced the whole concept of perception. That you walking into the room after the, at the end of the conversation, you just hear like the tail end of, uh, of the statements. So out of context, you don't know what's going on. It sounds weird or sounds off to you. So they you he decided to use that to the advantage. If they just see us getting beat up, us getting attacked by dogs, if they just see us being the victims of the violent acts and not indulging in it as well then it'll definitely help our plight and it'll get more people on our side to force their hand. Mm. There you go. Anything you got to add, Brad? Oh, we're not able to hear you, Brad. Oh, can you hear me now? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it, it's a touchy situation. Uh, I just, uh, I agree with everything Teach said. You know, I agree with everything V said. Um, I just believe in certain situations just going to call for more peaceful times. And uh, in other situations, it's going to call for uh, more action. Uh, the difference is, like now, I think that black folks have more 
access to guns. You know, we they have uh, you know, you had the Black Panther Party back then, or I don't know. It was how when did they come out, teach, you know, Black Panther Party? Was it out after the uh yes. Jim Crow area? Yes. Um Yes, yes, Black Panthers. Um and, and you know, and they tried I guess they made that a hate group since mm-hmm. um but you know the new Black Panther Party now, you know, was uh you know how how forceful do we want to go? I and I said a couple weeks ago on the podcast that you know what it will it take? Will it take for us to stand up and step in, you know, to stop police violence, to to stop different acts that we see? You know, do we put ourselves in danger, uh, knowing that we have families or whatnot? What will it take? Who's willing to take that that leap? You know. So. That's, that's my whole thing. Who's willing to take that leap? That's a very good point that you bring up. Uh, and I'll be brief. Um, I seen a video where it was a Caucasian situation where the police were getting kind of rough with the person they had apprehended. And the people around, they jumped in and knocked the police officer off of uh, the person they apprehended. I mean, the person, um, not the police officer, and it was like four police officers, and it was about seven or eight other people. And they just had a brawl, really. They had a brawl. There was no shooting. And what I'm, the point that I'm making is these situations can happen, but then when you factor in race, you know you're going to get a to- totally different outcome. Yes. So these people broke it up and made the police officers act civil. But if it's a black situation, they'll pull out their guns and just start shooting, killing up everybody. Yes. And yeah, and that's 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 what that's what we think about. Um and, that that's what we think about when we see these type of situations. And, if and, I jump in, will I come out alive or will I, you know, be all over Facebook, everybody saying rest in peace. Um <coughs> so and, and not to cut you off, but you know, just the lawyer for one of the, the, the one of those new police officers that was on the force for just three or four days that uh, the killed George Floyd. You know, the the lawyer came out and said, "Well, if the, if the community was so concerned about what was going on, why didn't they help stop it?" That's a mm-hmm. setup. You know, yeah, go back to what he said. You know, it's a setup. You can't expect yeah, it, black civilians to jump in anything without expecting to get shot or killed. Exactly. You know? And that, that tends that goes back to white privilege. If you white, exactly. yeah, you can do that. <laughs> but black right. people do not have that luxury. Exactly. I have been in that type of situation where I, I had to play peacekeeper for uh, a family of close friends. Um, one of them ended up having a warrant out for his arrest. But he called the sheriff. Sheriff said, meet, meet him at his mama's house. Y'all can sign the paperwork and it'd be no problem. But due to family infighting, the police came by. The sheriff had already maintained the order, had everything established. All he had to do was sign the papers, go on about his business. Once the police got there, he wanted to take it a step further. Now the police wants to arrest him. Now his uncle is mad. His uncle is shouting at the family members. The grandparents are there. I'm in the middle trying to keep 
my friend Kam who's currently being arrested and about to have a nervous breakdown. I'm trying to talk to the sheriff like, hey, no, can I go ahead and get his, get his stuff off of him now? Just make the process easier. What all we need to do, we'll meet y'all down there at the courthouse. Go ahead and get it out the way. I'm trying to talk to her. The, the officer is arresting him. His uncle is, is shouting at the family members. I'm shouting at the uncle to tell him to calm down. The uncle is moving toward the officer. And before I can even turn to speak to the officer, the officer already has his hand on his hip ready to shoot me. Mm. And I had to scream, I had to scream at him and get like, hold on. Number one, get your hands off of there because ain't nobody here for that. I, I'm trying to help you. Trying to keep this thing civil right along with you. There ain't no need for nobody to get any kind of violence today. Mm. Yeah. Um, he was so gung-ho, so gung-ho about it. Like a white man, mm -hmm. quick with you, you step back. I'm stepping back. I'm trying to work with you. I'm trying to make sure don't nobody else get involved with this. And and see, just hearing stories like that, when you talk to a pro, not trying to get too much of what we're talking about, when you talk to a pro cop enthusiast and you would tell him or her a story like that, you can hear that, yeah, but, you know, the uncle should never approach them. And it's like, that's not even the case. If the uncle don't have a freaking weapon on him, what makes you think you have every right to put your hand on the on your holster and ready to shoot that man? Exactly. And no it, one had any weapon. Yeah, and then it's no yeah. reason. And then it'd be all over the news. Like I don't know if y'all caught the news uh today, even though this happened yesterday. Did y'all see that police chief, um, the president of the uh, police union going off on that tirade? Oh, you talking about the one in New York? Yes. Yeah, yeah I just saw that today. I, I laughed. I, I think that's the most hilarious thing I think I've ever seen in my life because if you looked in that crowd, you saw not what, as my uncle would say, you saw one spook in that whole entire crowd. You didn't even see one. If there was one up I in there, he was, one speck of yep, he was probably in the back somewhere. But see, nah, this he was holding yeah, the camera. Yeah, and here's my issue. With, with this he says and see once again it plays into white privilege sorry people who's listening to us right now it does exist when he can sit there and say oh whoa is the cop whoa is me i had 100 wait say 137 million tell me if i'm wrong 137 million interactions with people and they all been positive I wonder, did he went on, um, what's that famous uh, First Avenue majority of his uh, career as a police officer? Or majority of his police officers went down there? Because I didn't hear anything about the Bronx. I didn't hear anything about Brooklyn. I didn't hear anything about Jamaica. I didn't hear anything about, um, what's another, what's, what's another, the other North side Manhattan. of Manhattan or the, um, Little Havana, have you had those with those 137 million interactions? Were those communities part of it? Because what I'm seeing and knowing the history of the NYPD, it was not good. Hey, thank you, Dad. Thank you. He said it was uh, 375 million. I saw the video too. Hey, thank you. That's that, yeah. that number is just. It's, it's, I, got, I got to speak white right now. The unmitigated call. Of that man, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, 
it's, it's now when I say that about this police union and about what the president said, it's just he's just so clueless. It's good to go out on a rant and say these things and saying, "Oh, it was I was in the moment at that time." But when you say inaccurate things and saying, woe is the police and it's always us and that our own government is against us, that's bullshit. That is bullshit. I'm not saying that the cops, when they, you know, when they put on the uniform, when they go out there on patrol, that they don't put their lives on the line. I'm not throwing that out the equation because they do put their lives on the line. But at the same time, when you are going at a group more than you're doing with the other, that is a cause for concerns. And then for anybody who's sitting there using the black on black narrative that y'all need to fix y'all own, you know, backyards before y'all start coming out and telling us what we need to do, we you got the same really, thing about them. Right. Why don't white crime be going on like crazy for centuries? And if we're going to put them in it, we might as well put all the ethnicities because it's been going on around the world. So we cannot sit there and say, we got to fix our own backyard. Let's be clear. Our ancestors were brought to your backyard and not to mention the front yard tending to all the, you know, Cotton. Let's take a step further. Our ancestors were forced here. Right. And so hearing this cop sitting there complaining about all this stuff, it just made me want to flip everything. Let's flip the script. What happened if we had all the Black Lives Matter people right there and then you have the one leaders saying the same thing? Will it get the same reaction? Would it get the same attention? No. See, these are one of the things people have to put in perspective. Yes, cops, we understand you. Go through it. Yeah. So true. Hot calling to kill the black. Yeah, I, we understand that y'all go through it. But in how you perform the job with another group of people than the other, you have to say something about it. You just can't sit there going to tirade on the on, on the press and being like, oh, it's me, it's me. You can't. And and just making me see that just made me just wanna it made me want to laugh, but then at the same time make me frustrated because if that was the Black Lives Matter and you had the one of the uh lead protesters, the uh, the leader of the group doing that, they would be met with, oh my gosh, the mad black man, you know, the angry black man or the angry black woman. Yep, I'm just about to say you, you, you can't angry pick a black profession. Mm -hmm. You can't pick a profession, a dangerous profession, going into it and then complain about it. Right. You know, nobody put a gun to their head to make them become a police officer. You know, they raise their hand to take an oath uh to protect and serve everybody. It didn't say to protect and serve the black community. It didn't say protect and serve the white community. It said to protect and serve. Mm -hmm. Their local community, federal community, whatever, whatever capacity that they're serving in as an officer. So, you know, to 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 treat one race differently than you do the next 
it's just totally wrong. And, and, you know, and some would argue that they just don't see that. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't see that. And, and, I'm no, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead, Brad. Go ahead. I interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying, you know, it's just pathetic. I, I, and I don't think that it's that they can't see it. They, they see it. They know. But they're so they wrapped around their white privilege and they're and they're so deeply involved to the wrong, you know, just the way they was raised that they just don't want to change. Right. It, it, they don't have to change because they're not being pressured to change. Right. You know, they, they, they're, they're killing people, black people, and they're getting off with it over and over and over again because the police unions are protecting them. And, you know, so they, they don't they don't have to change. You know, they're getting away with it for the most part. You know, you got your onesies and twosies that went to prison, you know, for whatever reason. But, you know, for the for the most majority of the reasons, you know, for the most part, they're getting away with it. So why change? Right. I mean, let's just be real and honest. Uh, all police officers were formed off of the American Police Department was formed off of slave catchers. Mm, yeah, the same that, badges yeah. that, that we use for the fraternal order of police is the same badge they gave to them. They gave them the right to kick in any door and go anywhere to find a black person. Mm. And then once Lincoln did what he did and it made it a little more little less legal to just randomly go hunt for niggas. Oh, well, we'll just we need, well, we need police. We need a police station. We need the police officers. Well, we was already using them to police the area of black people. We just make them regular police. They can still go out here and, and hurt niggas when they run across them. But when you're not when you're not hunting for niggas, help a white man. Hmm. And that mentality has just been perpetuated, and it's it's pretty much the statute now. Yeah, like you know, and why is George Floyd a hero? Why is he a hero? He's a criminal. That's the whole narrative now. Mm-hmm. He was a criminal. Why is he? You know, why couldn't you know here in Tennessee they they they're trying to pass a, a bill, a George Floyd bill, and they were going off on the on the uh you know Texan or whatever they do on that little thing that they got blog, and uh it it it, it was just crazy the things that they're saying you know dogging him in and it get oh candace owens is such a great person because she knows the truth she's speaking the truth the man is dead why drag his name through mud yeah uh, you know, it's, what makes him right. criminal mm-hmm. by, by but, whose law yeah yeah and, and see it and and teach I'm, I'm gonna get to you in a little bit but you see it ties in to the all lives matter uh point right. of view where when, when, but see, it don't matter when, let's say, Philando Castillo, mm-hmm. when he actually had a permit, he warned the police officer, hey, I'm armed. I got my gun right here. I'm going here and I'm going to give you my permit, my license and all that stuff. And he gets shot. Mm-hmm. And, and it just, and then, you know, they were trying to find all bad things about this guy, but this guy was loved. All through the community, yes, you realize like every single one of these brothers and sisters that got killed had a good rapport with their communities. You heard nothing bad about them, but then they will go back into their past and sit there and say, "Oh, he was a he or she was a drug dealer. Oh, they stole this, they stole that. Why shouldn't that? Why should that matter? 
But then when it's somebody of a different race, they don't go back into their freaking past and be like, hey, look, look at what he did. He just he he did um he got arrested for drug possession or domestic abuse and all that stuff. It's just a play on words. And T well, I disagree with you on that. What's I would that? say it's a I'll say you just said it's a play on words. For us is look what he did. Look what they did. Look what they were doing. But when it happens to the other races, the lighter races, is oh well look what, what happened to them. Look at how they live. Yeah. Look at how they yeah. grew up. And you hear the the instant change in my tone. Yeah. They and that's how it always is. The, the the boy from South Carolina. Oh he was that boy was racist from day one. Everybody around him knew he was racist from day one. Including his one and only black friend. <laughs> and I'm I'm going ahead and lead on to teach. Go ahead, teach. Okay, I just wanted to um kind of tie in and give some background on the that response. This is a trained response. Ever since um, the Europeans brought the Africans over, they had to do a defame to justify their actions. So we go back to um, Darwin's theory of evolution that says that uh, wow, okay. In essence, the strongest survive. And I had to, I had to quote in my mind, but you know, I guess this gray hair is taking some of my memory. But anyway, he says that um, you don't help the least fit because they might have the opportunity to be fit. So with his theory. Um, being printed and widely circulated, it became the gospel truth. They had doctors that paved the way for the field of psychology that took the head measurements of Africans and compared them to Europeans and other, um, other humans. And they came up with the theory that the African was the missing link between man and apes. And so therefore, they're less intelligent, they're prone to be criminals, they're everything that we're not. We are the superior race. That's how they came up with the theory through Darwin, that they were the superior race. But I have understood, and I want you to hear me, when they say you do not help the least fit, except they have a chance to be fit, which means they have a chance to survive. We go back to Europe prior to the 14th century, and what we find is four things. We find one, they are starving because their land cannot produce food. Two, they're given to sickness and disease. We all know about the Black Plague or what they call the bubonic plague that was wiping out millions of people. Three, uh, they had a low fertility rate as a race. They just could not reproduce as fast as other races of people. And number four, they were warring, killing each other up, language against language, 
um, race against race. So these four things is what propel what we now know as white supremacy. Because these four things made this race of people the least fit. In other words, because of these conditions, when they looked at the other races of the world, they saw their extinction. All right? They saw that if they continued this way, not being able to produce food, dying to sickness and disease, low fertility, and killing up each other, that they would be extinct. So what they did was they took those four uh, characteristics and they reversed it and projected it upon the African race. So what you hear today from that day is, Africans are starving to death. Oh, Africa is always at war. Oh, well, we want to control the population. And yes, uh, we want, right now, what are they saying? They want to give the um, corona vaccine to the Africans, but Africans are not having problems with sickness and disease. They have defeated the coronavirus in Africa. So they turned it around. And so... They put this in the minds of the white citizens that these are beasts. If you see a black man, he's going to steal. The black man wants your woman. He's going to rape your woman. And basically everything that they say is the characteristic of the African is actually their characteristic. What did they do? They kidnapped and stole us from Africa, they raped our women, they stole the Native Americans' land and possessed it as their own. So they have all these books come out and, and you know, they have meetings, they will have meetings to train the new arriving Americans that you want to steer clear of this thing called an African. So they perpetuate that whole idea that if they see you a black man, you are a danger and a threat to society. If they see me, the black woman, I am the black sexual Venus. I'm loose. I'm asleep with every white man that I know and a few brothers. Okay. But what do we know about the white woman? Mm, she's the easiest to have of all women. Okay. But again, that's that reverse projectionism. And with that reverse projectionism, that's what is in the minds of the police. When they go out, um, like um, they go out and they see any one of you, they see you as a threat. And it instantly goes through the mind, probably got a gun, probably a drug dealer, probably a rapist. Oh, I definitely know he wants my daughter. I know he wants my wife. These thoughts go through their mind because that is how they have been programmed. And this all falls up under the category you have to defame in order to justify your inane and cruel acts to these people. Mm. There you go, Chief. That's it. In mm. a nutshell, yep. you have to defame mm. Speaking in of, order to justify. Speaking of defame, 
I just want to go to this one and just want to get y'all um, view on this. So they are thinking about defunding the police. Now, lots of yes, people. Yeah, uh, lots of people on the right are definitely up in arms because they think when you hear defund, you hear, oh, they're going to get rid of the police, which no. that is not the case. So no. I'm going to go around the horn and I want to get y'all view on this legislation that's being worked on to defund police all over the country. So I'm going to start with you, Bragg. What you think? Um, the, mili- ty- the military type um, items that the funding has provided for our polices are, you know, it's unnecessary. Um, you know, like I said, it's, they're militarizing the police forces with these funds. And it's, it's, it's unnecessary. Uh, we, we need to um, just engage in the police and, and talk and have a conversation. You know, yeah, this legislation, you know, it's not it's just talking about defunding, but it's not talking about getting rid of. And we just need to educate everybody on what's, what it's really going to do and can do for us. Um, it's a, it's going to start another silver, civil war as far as words and you know not all blown out war but you know what i'm saying as far as mm-hmm. like, uh you know trying to play on words and what this and that you know black and white um because of course there's more white police officers out there but we just need to uh at that dialogue and educate people on on exactly what they're trying to do as far as you know what what can it be funding the police force what is it going to do for us as a black people right uh beach johnson um to agree with uh, Briggs, it's, it's definitely not about stripping them away of anything. It's more about like the, seeing where this money's going. The same way you would do the government or do the military. For example, uh, right before the show, I saw a picture of one of the riot gear officers, and the statement was like $600 for a single can of tear gas to go into a single shot tear gas launcher that costs 10000 And this particular officer had less than a year's worth of training. Those numbers don't add up. If you're going to invest all this money into the police department, it shouldn't be on military or militaristic endeavors. It should be on what it's supposed to be for community involvement, community understanding, and overall community unity. Spending $600 for a tear gas can, that that $600 could have went to a seminar or just, hey, we're going to do something for the neighborhood, for the local neighborhoods to promote, understand that, hey, the the cops just ran out of the playground one day, $600 worth of free food and candy and stuff. Just to chill, you know, just to show people, hey, we know shit's wrong, but not everybody is out here doing that. Because mm. you, you have um, communities that don't have that military presence as right. far as the police go. And the level of crimes are increasingly lower. But the involvement within the community is high. The, these are officers that Little children know that, hey, that's Officer Mike. 
because Officer Mike, yeah, he might come through the hood looking for drug dealers and game bangers, but if he don't see none, he'll hop out there and play a game of pickup basketball with the neighborhood kids. Mm. Or if he gets a call out there about you know loud noise and he sees a bunch of kids, he'll say, hey, I see a little uh, little lawn over here around the way. It's away from this neighbor. Y'all can go over here and play. Whose mama stay around here? And they have to go talk to the parents. Hey, man, we got a complaint about some noise. I see it's just the kids. Um, I saw a little a little field around the way, just still close by the house that they could play in. So the person they called won't be feel the need to call again. I just want to let you know. You have officers and you have individuals that force that type of mentality on their officers. Never be scared. You have to be open. If you want the citizen to be upfront and honest and open with you, you have to do the same thing because you're here to protect and to help me. So if I feel protect, if I feel like I need protection, I need help, I should be open to come to you no matter right. what color I am. Right. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right. Um, Cheech, what's your take? Okay. Um, well, the first thing that comes to my mind is the pushback. Um, the pushback can be very effective, uh, which is loopholes as to how they get funding. If a particular police department have community that's behind them, they will have private funding. So if the government takes away some money, um, uh, a philanthropist in the community will supply the money. So I really just see that as for your ears, it really has no teeth. It has no bite. Um, and then they say, take away the money. What? Take away a dollar? I mean, they could say, well, okay, we're going to give you $1 less than we gave you last year. And then they'll come and have a big news conference say, we have defunded the police department. That means nothing. So for me, it's just mere words. It's mere words because... There's so many loopholes that um, legally, um, what grounds would they have to change the budget? And I don't know if the budget is set up every year, or every two years or whatever have you, but I experienced when I was in the state of Kentucky, uh, we got swept up into the new Republican governor that decided to take away all of the teaching positions, okay? And there was a loophole um, that he could not circumvent and they were actually able to sue and get part of the money back, but with conditions. Um, so it's a big political game. Um, in, in our particular case, they took the money and put it in another um, area. But the state had a clause that says that if the state of Kentucky or the Commonwealth of Kentucky is operating in the black. The budget of that year, a previous year, cannot be touched. We were operating in the black. That was the only reason why they were able to win the case. Mm. So I, I just did. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and but the thing is, when they reinstituted the money, it came back with conditions. They just couldn't just put the money back in the account. They had to put, um, 
what they call benchmarks. Now the schools had to meet the benchmarks in order to um, be granted the money they were previously granted under the previous budget. So, so I would I would assume the same thing would happen if they say, okay, we're just going to take away your money. There's going to be a loophole <laughs> that that will be able to put money back right where it was. Mm-hmm. So, I, to me, it's just something for the ears. It just sounds good. Maybe for me, it don't even sound good. <laughs> <laughs> for for me, um, since everybody. Y'all basically answered my question how I would answer. I mean, I would have been like, yes, defund them. But then how do we know they're being defunded? They could be, let's say, defunded by, let's say, a billion. People may think that, oh, that's a lot. But, like, I think the the NYPD, they get $4 billion a year in funding. So if you take away a billion, that's $3 billion. I mean, okay, what are you okay, going to do with five. We can only get four guns instead of the six we want. Right. And so you're not doing much of any damage, but I do like that they are saying, you know, this is what we want in the defunding. We don't want to give them like militarized, like give them tanks or give them like, I would say M16s and all that stuff. But still going back to what teacher saying, you got the smoking mirrors, you know? You know, good like, and I go back to the good play on words. It's like they sound good, but are you actually doing it? And then let's say if they do defund them and just let's say they just cut it like not even half, but like 75%. Cut the whole time budget 75%. There's gonna be somebody. There is gonna be that one billionaire that people barely even heard about. Probably. Give them the, yes, yeah, just give them this funding for them to keep doing what they're doing. So it seemed like you can't win from losing. They're going to get the funding no matter what, either from the state, from the government, or either from a billionaire, you know? So, I mean, who knows? But we see how this, all this will go. So, which lead me to this, to ask each and every one of y'all this. If Dr. King was here today, how would you think he will react? And I will start with you, Teach. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping you started with them. <laughs> nah, I got something to um, do. I got to. <laughs> well, I think that um, towards the end of his life, he did have a change of heart and a change of pace. I believe that if he had lived and was still alive today, I believe that um, I believe that he would have implemented the change seeing that the civil rights movement, it was effective, but for today's time, it is outdated. I believe he would believe that is a voice of the past. And I believe he would upgrade his voice because um, I was just sitting here outlining his letter from the Birmingham jail. And he states that um, we must come to see with one of our distinguished jurists that justice too long delayed is justice denied. And that he said that 
um, the word wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with piercing familiarity. This wait has, al has almost always meant never. So if he were alive today, I believe he would reiterate these very same words that in my lifetime, we've seen marginal change. I believe he will update his message. All right, B. Shots, what you got? What do you think? Um, it's kind of a two-part of if Dr. King was still alive and everything that history has happened since his death still happened, I think, honestly, he probably responded like the Boondocks episode. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. <laughs> I, 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 really, I really do. I see I see that in my head, like him, him on the talk show and everything talking about it, and he's just getting, I'm so tired of all you syphilis niggas. <laughs> oh, my God. Dr. King just called black people niggas. It, it, like I said, it will go back. It, I, I feel like if he was still alive, a lot of those things, uh, a lot of the a lot of the sides of Dr. King that we weren't privy to know about, or they didn't want to let us know about, we would see now. Like mm -hmm. we we we'd have heard him probably mess around and say, you know, Malcolm was right, and that was that comment alone was just completely flabbergasted everybody. Dr. King says Malcolm X was right. Oh my God. The world might end that day. <laughs> White people will be scared from sea to shine and sea. <laughs> All right, Brad, what you got? Man, before Beast Johnson said that, I was thinking the exact same thing. We was here. Yeah. Um, but I do think he would have had a change of heart, you know, Maybe not as uh, not as militant, but I I do think he would have lost that peaceful type tone. Um, you know, I I could see him now standing next to Al Sharpton and and uh, Jesse Jackson. You know, you know, trying to keep keep going, keeping the legacy going. Um, although you know those brothers have some black people think they have tarnished. The uh, you know, the what they have trying, you know, they they've done some things in their past that wasn't so great. I guess you should say can, yeah. can say, and so they, you know, people are saying, oh, they, I'll forget them. They're you know they're not any good, but you know they're they're still fighting for us, regardless of what what you think and how you think about them. They they still fighting for us. Um, so well, I think Martin Luther King would have uh, well, he. I think it would have had a change of heart, but not as harsh as we uh, think. Yeah, because you know he's still a still a man of God, you know. So I think he would have had a still a softer tone. Yeah. For me, I think uh, Dr. King would fully support what's been going on, and that he, you know, just going back to what all three y'all said, because like all y'all saying what I've been thinking. And what I would have said, because I was definitely thinking about the Boondocks too as well. I was like, he probably will react to like that. I mean, there's no ifs, no ands, no buts about it. But he will fully agree 
and knowing where he, you know how prominent he was people will have been going up to him i can see the current administration contacting like they did uh what's his name who's that football player that's um been going around um Jim brown yeah they would have been treating Dr. King in that type of respect, but but more highly regarded. Have him come to the White House and like, hey, there's protests going on around. What what should we do? What, what what's going on? What's going on? Because you know this is gonna come slipping out their mouths. What's going on with your people? Your people is doing this. Your people's doing that. What can, can we you talk do to, to come to right? <laughs> and I believe Dr. King would have been like, well, you should listen to him. You should listen to them because if you're not going to listen to them, they're going to do things to make you listen. And that's why you got rioting. Let's forget about the looting because they love to put that looting in with the rioting. But that ain't even us. Right. And so when you have fresh when you have frustration and you're not listening, this is what's going to happen. And I believe Dr. King would have said that, like, I support them 110%. But don't change the narrative of sitting there putting it on the looting and the rioting. But look at why they're out there on the street, why it led to this point. I believe Dr. King would have definitely approached them like that. And I'm not going to say that would have made change, but I guarantee you the current administration, the atmosphere would have really started putting their two, you know, started getting off the ass and actually doing something rather than what's going on right now. So that's how I feel uh, uh, about that. So I just want to get this off my chest real quick because you mentioned it and it it does annoy me when everybody always wants to say, well, black people will loot. Let, let, Let me tell you something right now. All black looters are not black protesters. And when I say that, I'm meaning this. The black folk that you know will go run up in the store and steal some stuff. They're going to do it after they find out that the niggas that went to the protest, that something happened. Like mm-hmm. all the looters are at home. Say, I'm not about to go up there to no protest until they find that, hey, man, riot broke out of the protest. Next thing you know, niggas out there looting. They was looting. Yeah, man, they still wilding out now. They still wilding out. Well, shit, let me, let me go hop in the car real quick. See if I'm going to grab me something. All the looters came in after the fact. And that's only because, going back to my original statement, those that were there looked up and heard, oh, they looting. and saw about four or five white folk do it first. And didn't see no police. Then saw four or five more white people do it. Then saw a couple black folk do it. Saw no police and was like, all right, let's roll. And then went back and told their people. So for mm-hmm. I, I just want people to stop saying that black people are going out here to loot. No. It's white people that's looting. And any black person that gets caught after the fact, they got caught after the fact because they assume they ain't catch them. So at most, they just going to catch me on camera. Mm. I'll take a camera. I'll take getting caught on camera versus get caught with a uh, taser. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So now we hit the final point of this show where I'm going to give it the final thought, even though somebody from another news stole that from me. But, you know, I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to put some style on it. So just like with the first opening statements, we're going to do the same thing with the final thought where you will have the floor. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and 
you know, I'm not even gonna put a time limit. I'll, I'll put a time limit on next time. Um, Cheech actually just got off. <laughs> she she gonna probably gonna be back. So, Beast Johnson, you got the floor for your final thought. It doesn't have to pertain to what we talked about. It could be something you just want to get off your chest to let the people know. Final thought. Stop with all the ignorance. All right. If if you can't be honest to a person's face about how you feel, don't go online. If I can't tell you to your face, I like you, I loathe you, I hate you, I'm not going to go on no social media account and talk about it. If you really want to express how you feel, express it publicly. Because I'm going to be here to tell you, I'm one of them black people that will actually respect the racist if you tell me that to my face versus be the racist punk that you are and do the moves behind your back. I don't like that. If you don't like me for the color of my skin, tell me to my face. It's not going to stop me from loving you. It's not going to stop me from helping you if you actually need it. It just stopped me from dealing with you. So please, people, be better. Be honest and be open with folk. Thanks so much, Mr. Beast Johnson. Rag, yeah. My final thought goes out to all the police officers in America. And I love police. I think you guys do an amazing job. I respect you. However, I want all police to stop shucking and jiving on Facebook and Instagram, uh, trying to make it seem like they care about the community. You know, they're in the urban areas, jump roping, uh, doing these dance challenges or whatnot. That's fine, it's cute, but when your fellow cop has his knee on a black man's neck, speak up. Don't show your face on social media trying to do be cute and not stand up when it counts. That's all I got. Thank you, Mr. Bragg. Teach, the floor is yours. All right. Um, I think that we are living in very trying times. And I think that each individual um, should do what my grandmother always told us to do is to get with ourselves and reflect on who you are and what you are and how you can be a positive contributor to our community. And if you give the community, if you be your best, then you can give the community your best. Um, and we will have a good community. I believe that racism is, uh, is deeply steeped in our community and we all, no matter what your race is, if we truly want America to be great, then that is the number one issue that is keeping us from being great. And that's because we're intolerant or people have been intolerant and choose intolerance. At this point in time, I remember um, that um, uh, Abraham Lincoln, he wrote in his letters, that when he freed the slaves, he did not think that America um, could be civil to freed Africans. And 
so that was his opinion. And he believed that the white people would continuously harbor hatred and hostility towards the African. And his thoughts have played out some 200 years later. So, um, I mean, a hundred and some odd years later. Uh, so each individual, white, black, Asian, um, Latino, if you are here in America, you have to make the effort to be diverse. You have to make the effort to just go across the aisle and say, hi, my name is. Usually people are afraid of other people or have things programmed in their mind about other people and never getting to know that other person. Just, hi, my name is, can start up conversations and you can find there are so many things that's similar than dissimilar between the races. Thank you so much, Teach. Now is my turn <clears throat> to end, um, to wrap everything up from what we was talking about. Be careful when you use the Martin Luther King narrative of if he was here, he would disapprove all of this and all this stuff and should be peaceful, peaceful, peaceful. If you use that narrative, you got to ask yourself, which Dr. King are you talking about? Are you talking about the Dr. King? I had a dream. Or the Dr. King, where he realized that his own, I'm going to say his own words, paraphrasing what he said, that he felt like he marched his own people into a burning house. So when you go to the Martin Luther King narrative, he was at a point where he realized what he was doing was like that made him have to think second. But when you use Dr. King and the narrative to fit your point of view, you have to think this also. When your mom, your, your dad, your grandpa, your grandma, when they was living in that time, were they supporting Dr. King? Now, I know you wasn't born back in those days. I get it. I understand. Got it. But I'm all about keeping the same energy. Because majority of what these protesters are protesting on is what Dr. King was doing back in the 60s and 70s. Crazy, huh? Just to be treated as a human being. So for y'all to use that to deflect what is actually going on with these protests and you using that logic and using that narrative, it only makes you more of the problem. So I dare each and every one of y'all who sit there and use that MLK narrative of he was peaceful and all that stuff and you're not seeing these protests being nothing but just peaceful, there's something wrong with you. And if Martin Luther King was here today, he would probably say the same thing too. So if you want to use a Martin Luther King narrative, 
Do your proper research. Definitely for your, definitely for the ones that believe that freaking Dr. King was Republican. I'm still trying to figure that out, but that's for a different day. Do your research and go to reliable sources. Don't just go with what you learned in school or what somebody told you, or even me, even though I am encouraging you to do your own research. Because just like me and my panel was just discussing, Dr. King came to his senses and literally knew that, oh, snap, maybe what I'm doing was wrong. So watch what you say about using Martin Luther King to push your narrative when his narrative is already being pushed by Black Lives Matter. And to tell you the truth, I'll give him an A+. And ladies and gentlemen, that would do it for me. I'm going to put my cast back on up here. Any alibis before we head on out? Nah, I'm good. This is my alibi. <laughs> Teach? Um, I just say um, be careful and be safe. If you're protesting, be aware of your surroundings. Yeah. Be aware of, um, of everything. And... Um, and keep those statues coming down. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Brad, you got anything? Keep the dialogue open. Keep talking. Keep mm -hmm. the dialogue going. Talk to other people mm -hmm. who are uncomfortable. Have those uncomfortable talks. Mm -hmm. Yes. And this is, and I'm happy that you brought it up, and I'm going to make it real quick, and then we're going to head on out. This is why we got this platform. This is why we got this show. I encourage y'all to let your friends know let them tune in. Let them put in questions. This is what we're here for. This is why we got this show here. This goes beyond the conversation. This is a dialogue that need to, need to happen. And guess what? It's happening. Mm -hmm. Get your friends. Even get your mom. Get your great-great-granddaddy. Get your side chick. Get your side dude. I don't care. Get them here on the show and let them listen to. No, not let, listen. Enter our world. Know that all the things that you may hear, you may not like, but guess what? It got to that point. So Life tell them about black. it. <laughs> Basically, and I'm a, and like I said, I'm gonna keep this series going because all everybody else is gonna stop because they're gonna think, oh, you know, we got this legislation passed, that's good, but we ain't gonna stop. This series <laughs> gonna keep on going until we fully get to what we want. I feel that this is probably gonna last all the way to election night which i'm fine with that too I'm but good. i do yeah i do like to thank each and every one y'all for um tuning into the show i will let y'all know if i'm gonna have a show on friday thank y'all and also thank y'all for tuning in um definitely on the back end when i upload the show 300 views on the um two videos before and then the last video actually went up to let me see let me check 241 views so ladies and gentlemen keep it up. Y'all may not tune in with us when we're live, but we are happy that you actually tune in once the show is over. Thank you. Thank you. Keep the conversation. Well, not conversation. Let's keep this going. Put in your messages even after the fact. But as for myself, Alamonte31, Don Alamonte Morris, for Anita Joke, aka Teach, to Beast Johnson, to Alan Brad. Thank y'all for tuning in. We're outro. 
Catch y'all later. Please stay safe. Remember, there's still a thing called COVID-19 that is still out there. Please. Mm -hmm. Please, ladies and gentlemen, stay safe. (laughs) Stay safe. (laughs) (laughs) I'll catch y'all later. And I will let y'all know if we're going to have a show on Friday. Catch y'all later. All right. Y'all take care. Okay. Bye-bye. It was good.